This is uh, Art Barter with the Servant Leadership Institute. I've got a great guest with us today. Um, we've done a lot of work together. He's taught me a lot about the subject of trust and relationships and people. Uh, I'm thrilled to have Stephen M. R. Covey with us today. Stephen, how you doing? Hi, Art. I'm doing tremendous and uh, so nice to, to be with you and be part of this podcast. And just like you say, you've learned from me. I'll tell you what, I, I know how much I've learned from you, both by uh, by your insight and your experience and knowledge, but also by seeing you in action as a practitioner, as a doer. So it's a delight to, to be with you. Again, yeah, it's, it's great. Steve and I have a great history. He's uh, He taught me about trust. I think I saw your, your father uh, speak probably 15 years ago, maybe 15, 18 yeah. years ago, or maybe even 20 years ago, uh, talk about the speed of trust. I tried to get my hands on his slide deck, but <laughs> man, he, I couldn't get—I couldn't even get close to it, Stephen. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that was my first exposure to speed, uh, speed of trust. And then uh, we invited you out to our conference, and you came out, did an unbelievable job. Stephen's worked with our team at Daytron um, in the speed of trust a couple of times, and we've done some uh, conferences around uh, together. But you know, the work he did for our folks at Daytron, uh, our HR director is certified in the speed of trust, came out and got certified. So we use that almost every year. We use it a lot in those relationships that are a little strained and need to build some trust. And so uh, for that, Stephen, you've, you've just had a great impact on us. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And I, I might say that uh, our, what, what, what you've done at Daytron in really um, moving the needle on trust, you know, focusing on it, recognizing how vital it is, and then getting good at moving the needle so that you go from good to great is really impressive. And and you're as good a client example that we have because you 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 really understand, you know, kind of how to do this and and how to implement this, and and you've seen success in doing that, and you know that it impacts. Um, everything you're trying to do in your business. So it, it does. Yep. It impacts everything to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. So Stephen, my first question for you today is, um, can you share with us what, how you define servant leadership in the 21st century? Sure. I'll give a kind of a, a an overarching definition. Then I'll, I'll, I'll go into a couple of pieces. Um, I love how my father, has always framed leadership. To me, this is the as the heart of a servant leader. And it's this, that leadership and servant leadership is seeing, seeing and communicating people's worth and potential so clearly that they're inspired to see it in themselves, that they come to see it in themselves. In other words, as a leader, you see the potential of your people, you see it and then you communicate it so clearly that they come to see it in themselves. And the reason that's such a servant heart is that you're all about your people, their growth, their development. So you're serving them. And when, one way you can serve them is to see their potential and to communicate their potential 
and to coach their potential, to help them develop their potential, their growth, their development. And as they achieve that, you're truly modeling the example of what servant leadership is all about in growing, developing those around us and letting their strengths move forward our business and our organization and the like. And so to me, that's a great definition, seeing and communicating people's worth and potential so clearly that they become inspired to see it in themselves. And, and so I love that, that definition. And I'll just add one more piece. I love that, you know, two words, servant leadership. And in a sense, in my work on trust, I talk about how trust is a function of both character and competence. And in a sense, servant leadership is that servant is the character kind of who we are, what we're about. We're serving. Leadership is the competence that we're providing leadership, but leadership um, character without competence or incompetence without character is like leadership without servant. You know, we're missing the point. We need both dimensions of it to be powerful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that definition. And Stephen, do you find that a lot of times, um, leaders see the value in people uh, more than they see it in themselves? I find it frequently. And and um, where, if you think about it, if most of us were to kind of stand back and ask ourselves the question, you know, has there been a time in our lives where there was someone who believed in us maybe more than we, we believed in ourselves, mm-hmm. who saw more in us, more potential, more capability than maybe we saw in ourselves? And this could be, um, you know, it could be a leader. It could be a parent. It could be a clergyman. It could be a, a coach. It could be a teacher, a mentor. But someone that maybe saw more in us than we saw in ourselves, and they believed in us, and they communicated that to us. That to us. They gave us a chance. They gave us an opportunity. They extended trust to us. I find for most of us, we've got at least one person, sometimes two, three, four, and and um where you can look back to that and 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 um whether that be in your personal life or in your professional life and so i think that that we have that opportunity as a leader to be that kind of person for someone else for those that we lead to, to see their potential and and to you know to see the the tree and not just the acorn exactly what, could, what is what is potentially could be there and our job is to create the conditions to let that seed grow but the power is in the seed like the powers in the person, we as a leader, we try to create the right conditions right. That seed to grow. But we are not the seed. The person is. And they grow. We create the conditions for that. So, yes, seeing it, communicating that, creating the conditions for it is a big part of what we try to do as leaders. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Uh, you mentioned extending trust. So I'm, that's going to get me into the uh, discussion on trust. You know, we have nine, nine behaviors of a servant leadership. First one is you got to decide to serve. But the second one uh, is building trust. And we find that you can decide to serve, but if you don't build trust, you're not going to create any relationships, relationships past that, right? So talk to us a little bit about, um, first, tell us what you think trust is. And then tell us uh, a little bit about the state of trust in organizations today and some of the things you think we can do to build that trust, extend it, uh, and have those great relationships that we all desire. Yes, wonderful. Well, first of all, let me say this, Art, that I love the, the nine servant leadership 
Institute behaviors um, because of how, you know, you start with the first premise of servant leadership, which is serve first. <laughs> and that's the whole idea of servant leadership. You're serving as that mindset. It's the heart of a servant leader. But then right out of the gates, after having established that paradigm, you're saying we got to build trust. And so uh, to your questions, you know, tr trust, the most simple definition for trust is confidence. Mm. And in fact, in many languages, trust and confidence are the same word, like in French, Spanish, same word. In English, we have two words for it. So look at, look at, look at it this way. The opposite of trust, distrust, is suspicion. Say, so don't trust someone if I'm suspicious about their agenda or their integrity, maybe their lack of integrity, or what if I'm suspicious about their ability to deliver, to perform, so compared to confidence. Mm -hmm. So confidence versus suspicion. And here's the key thing. I believe that that confidence comes from two key sources. It comes from having both character and competence. Character and competence, and both are vital. If you have one without the other, you won't sustain the trust. Right. You know, you got to. Character means who we are, what we can do. It is who, character is who we are. Competence is what we can do. So the the character is the constant. We always need that. The competence is kind of situational, tied to the job to be done. Because not all of us are, none of us are competent at everything. But we need to be competent in, in the job to be done. But the constant of this is the character. And when you have both character and competence, that's a person you can trust, a leader that you can trust. And you can have confidence in that as opposed to suspicion. And so in that sense, trust is earned. And we earn it through our character and through our competence. But there's one more piece to it, Art, that I like to highlight and it's not enough to just to have the character and the competence as a leader. That's the starting point, and that's the foundation. We've got to start there. But it's possible to have two trustworthy people working together, both with character and competence, and no trust between them. <laughs> yep. If neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. I've seen it happen in organizations where you might have two trustworthy teams or departments working together. They both have people of character and competence and they don't trust each other. And neither party, neither person, neither, you know, neither department is willing to really extend the trust to the other. So there's a third part of you know, this definition that is confidence. It comes from character and confidence. And we have to extend it to receive it. You got to give it to get it. And that generates a reciprocity of trust. In that sense, trust is given. So I get asked all the time, Stephen, is trust earned or is it given? And my answer, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is earned. Yeah. How do we earn it? Through our character and our competence, our credibility. But we also have to be willing to give it, to extend it. And that is the strong belief and bias of the servant leader is to extend trust to others. Yeah and to give them the opportunity to rise to the occasion and perform. And, and so that's vital. So confidence that comes from having character and competence, and we got to give it to get it. That's a good definition for trust. And the danger, you know, back to your other point, is that we're operating in a world in which the trust is, tends to be going down all around us. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You see it everywhere, right? I everywhere. mean, look at our, in our society, and you have different measures like the Edelman 
trust barometer that comes out every year and measure trust in four key institutions, trust in government, trust in media, trust in business, trust in NGOs, non-governmental organizations. And the and you're basically seeing a decline in most of those in most parts of the world with a few exceptions. In some cases, trust has never been lower than it really is today. Mm-hmm. You know, tr- trust in media, for example, is you know extremely low. And, and, um, and so that's kind of our context is, is we're living in a world of declining trust. And the danger of a low trust world is that it tends to perpetuate itself and create more distrust because we all become a little bit more careful, cautious, guarded, because none of us want to get burned. And you can find yourself perpetuating that. So uh, more than ever before, we need leaders, teams, and organizations that know how to operate with high trust in a low trust world, know how to create trust in a world of declining trust, and what an advantage for those that do. And I find the best people at doing that are true servant leaders. In fact, the very defining outcome of servant of a servant leader is trust. trust. That's the that's the test. Mm-hmm. So you know we believe in leaders that sh- that show what they believe in through their behaviors. Uh, share with us a couple of key behaviors leaders need to show in extending that trust that you talked about. Yes. So in and of itself, the extension of trust is one such behavior, and you know to extend trust. But other key behaviors include to um, clarify expectations because it's hard to extend trust if people aren't clear what you're trusting them with. Mm-hmm. And another is to to practice accountability. In other words, anytime there's an extension of trust, there needs to be clear expectations and agreed upon process for accountability because that process helps build the trust and it makes sure the trust is smart and not kind of a blind or wild trust where you just indiscriminately trust anyone and everyone without expectations, without accountability, because in the long run, that won't work. And you kind of say, hey, I tried this trust stuff. I trusted people and they didn't deliver. Well, if you don't have clear expectations and agreed upon process for accountability, they may not. So some other expect, you know, behaviors include clarifying expectations, practicing accountability, um, creating transparency, where it's open and light. There's no hidden agendas. Right. There's nothing, you know, that's kind of no one's talking about everyone's being open and authentic and real and natural as opposed to hidden agendas we talk straight is another such behavior so we tell the truth and we we speak truth to power we call things what they are versus kind of when people are spinning and twisting and telling people what they want to hear you know that spin that i call it a counterfeit behavior just talking straight will cause trust to go down and you know i have 13 behaviors in in, in, in my framework of, of how you build trust, but they include things like I've just said, talking straight and creating transparency and clarifying expectations, practicing accountability, listening first. I know that's one of your key Hell behaviors. Yeah. Yep. So the leadership is listen to understand, and that's listening first. Keeping commitments is maybe the big kahuna of the behaviors. You know, you, you, you learn to make a commitment and keep it, and that builds trust as fast as any one behavior might. But it also loses trust the fast when you make a commitment and break it. And the counterfeit of that is when you overpromise and under underdeliver. So there's a variety of behaviors that help you uh, build trust. And but when you as a leader can model this, when you start with your own uh, 
credibility, your character, your competence, and then you behave in these ways. You talk straight, you create transparency, you, you clarify expectations, you, you practice accountability, you listen first, you keep commitments. Then when you extend trust in that context, it really takes, it works. You're setting people up to win. They respond, they see that, and they say, I can trust Art, I can trust this leader, this person, I can trust Stephen, and they reciprocate it back. And you start that virtuous upward spiral. Yeah. That's what's exciting is to see this actually in action, in practice. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the counterfeit behaviors uh, while you were talking there. And that's what mm -hmm. I love about what you, what you teach is it's not just about the behaviors we need to exhibit, but you also talk about and share with people you teach, here's the counterfeit behaviors. So share a couple of the counterfeit behaviors that actually uh, hurt your ability to extend and receive trust. Yeah. Well, um, I think the most foundational of them all is the counterfeit to talking straight. To talk straight, as I mentioned, is kind of just, you're straightforward. You tell the truth. You call things what they are. You use simple language. Um, candor is the language of trust. You're straightforward. It's like Abraham Lincoln. You're plain spoken. Now, the opposite of talking straight is when people lie. <laughs> and, you know, and we and most people have learned that if you lie inside of a team, inside of an organization, you know, you might get away with it for a while, but you can't sustain it. Right. At some point, you'll run out of runway. So talk straight is, you know, telling the truth. The opposite is lying. Most people learn that doesn't work. But what often can work, at least seemingly work inside of a team and organization, is the counterfeit. And counterfeit behaviors like counterfeit money, it looks real. But like counterfeit money, when you're more closely inspected, you realize that, that it's not. And so the counterfeit you're talking straight is when you spin. Mm -hmm. And when you sweet talk. And when you technically tell the truth, but you leave the wrong impression. You tell people what they want to hear. It's the half-truths. It's the partial truths. And so you can say, hey, I didn't lie. No, but maybe you misled. Mm -hmm. and, and so that tends to be our bigger challenge. Not so much the opposite, the lying, more the counterfeit, the spin, and, and the sweet talking, the telling people what they want to hear, not what is the, is the truth. Right. I could go through each of the 13 behaviors. You know, create transparency it means you're open. The opposite, you're close. The counterfeit is the hidden agenda. So you partly are saying, hey, here's what I'm trying to do, but you have another agenda, a hidden agenda that kind of you don't tell. And that tends to ultimately manifest itself and cause people to lose trust. You know, keep commitments. The opposite is to break the commitment. The counterfeit is you over-promise and then under-deliver. So you partly deliver on it, but not what was promised. So you say, hey, I, I, did, I did it. And say, yeah, but it was a huge promise and it was only a partial delivery. And I'm not quite sure I can trust what I hear. And, you know, we could go on and on. Uh, maybe a good one is in listening because this is one of your uh, key behaviors for the Servant Leadership Institute of becoming a servant leader is listen to understand. So, so that is the behavior that builds trust is listening first to understand. The opposite is when you don't listen um, at all, or you listen last, the counterfeit is when you listen, but you don't understand. Right. Yep. So kind of just gone through the motions. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of waiting your turn 
patiently waiting for your turn to reply, to respond, but the person doesn't feel understood. Yep. And so you technically have listened, but they don't feel understood. And so it's, again, counterfeits are not bad. It You know, bad people doing bad things. We can all get trapped in that. Entire cultures can get trapped in a culture of spin, in a culture of hidden agendas, a culture of over-promising and delivering, a culture of kind of listening with the intent to reply, not with the intent to understand. And But the net net could be that you, you kind of aren't quite sure you have confidence and trust that we're all straight up on this. Right, right. And that I find is probably the bigger challenges for most teams is the counterfeit, maybe more than the opposite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you were talking about spin and um, I worked for a company. First time I went to a quarterly meeting uh, with them, it was a three day offsite meeting, right? Everybody went and yeah. uh, we spent two days spinning the results <laughs> on what we're gonna tell corporate so we could buy more time to fix what needed to be fixed. And I'm sitting back thinking, how come we're not spending those two days on talking about what needs to be fixed and tell corporate what we're fixing instead of the other way around, right? And and I, I left that meeting going, we, we just wasted three days. Um, and I, I find a lot of companies do that. They wanna spend what they're doing to um, buy them a little bit more time to fix what they don't know needs fixing, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and sometimes in some cultures, people are afraid to kind of convey the bad news because the messenger is often shot, yeah, right? Exactly. So they want to, they spin it, but that's a counterfeit because a behavior that builds trust is to confront reality. You take things head on and yep. call it what it is. And you say, hey, we got a problem here and here's what we're doing to fix it. But the opposite is you bury your head in the sand and say, there's no problem. The counterfeit is when you spin it, sugarcoat it and kind of buy the time, but you're not, you're still skirting the issue and everyone kind of knows it. and. Yep. And so you, you come out of the meeting and say, we wasted time. We're not addressing the real issue. Just exactly. kind of, because it's hard to take it head on. I'll give you another illustration of that is um, when Alan Malawi was first came in at Ford to become their new CEO. Right. Yep. Uh -huh. Similar thing the way you just described, he comes in, inherits the management team, and um, and they have their performance review meeting. And right, you know, this, he's brand new and He's got his executive team and everyone puts up a slide of red, yellow, or green representing their projects. And so first meeting, 323 slides go up and, you know, green means everything's good. Yellow, there's concerns. Red, we got problems. Just like kind of in your meeting, right. every slide, that first meeting, every slide was green. Yep. So he waits, another meet, another week goes by because he's trying to understand first. Next meeting, 300 slides, everyone's green. Waits another week. Next meeting, every slide green. After three weeks, he says, hey team, we've had three weeks of this, every slide has been green. But here's my disconnect. We're gonna lose about $18 billion this year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Surely there are things going wrong. Now, and and what, what was happening there? I'll tell you what, people were afraid to kind of confront reality, tell the truth, call things what they are, because maybe in the past, that might've got them shot. Maybe in the past, that wasn't, acceptable so th these were not bad people doing bad things this was good people trapped in a culture of counterfeit behavior exactly and he invited them hey get real confront reality talk straight be transparent let's take things head on so he goes to the next meeting after he invited them to do this the very first slide 
out of the gates is put up by Mark Fields, the head of North American Art Operations, and he puts up a red slide, and Alan Malawi sees it, and he claps. Yeah, that's right. Yep, exactly. Says, Mark, that's <laughs> great visibility. What can we do to help? You know, the rest of the meeting, all the slides prepared in advance, they were all green because everyone wanted to make sure that Mark Fields showed up to the ne next week's meeting, right? Right, exactly, <laughs> right. Uh -huh. He might be gone. But sure <laughs> enough, he's there next week. And and uh, and then you saw everything shift from that. When Mark's still there, you can get real. You can take these things head on. You know, you don't have to be a counterfeit. And from that time, we saw red, yellow, and green slides up. They got real. And Alan Malawi, in the book written about him called American Icon, said this. He said, the day that I knew the culture of Ford began to change was the day that Mark Fields put up the red slide. That's right. Yep. And I would add to it, and when Alan Malawi clapped and said, that's great visibility, Mark. How can we help? Right. Of, What's wrong with you, Mark? You know, and, and penalizing and going after him and, and stuff. And so that's what I mean by kind of behaving your way into trust versus those counterfeits that can, you know, the spin, the twisting, the posturing, that, you know, the hidden agendas that get in the way of real trust. Yeah, or, you know, early in my career, I worked for a company that was based out of Minnesota. And um, it was very interesting. They got a new CEO and we went to our offsite and, you know, everybody had great looking presentations except for one division. They just put up their numbers and, you know, do you have any questions? And uh, we got done and the new CEO sat back and said, you know, I was taught many years ago that the people who have the best looking presentations at these meetings <laughs> are the ones that need the help the most, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the guys, the only people on plan were the ones that put up their numbers and said, you, got, you have any questions, right? Yeah. That, that, that's beautiful. That's a little bit like Warren Buffett. He's just a straight talker and you read his annual report letters and you know, like one year he didn't do that well. And he said, gosh, you would have been better investing your money with about anyone than me, right, you know, and right. just, just straightforward, but boy, you sure say, gosh, I may not always like what I hear from him, but I know I can trust what I hear because right. it'll tell me the truth. I can trust this. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, talk a little bit, uh, Stephen, about how companies uh, have measured success or, or trust in a successful way. Uh, you know, there's a lot of surveys out there, a lot of people, you know, 200 questions, and I always ask them, what do you get out of the 200 questions? And, they, and nobody can tell me what they're getting out of it and what they're gonna work on. Uh, what have you suggested to people and what have you seen work um, in companies on measuring trust? Yes, well, first of all, the whole idea that you can measure trust is a big idea. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people have never thought of that. And, and uh, because trust is a perception, you can measure perceptions. And so you really kind of want to understand, do we have trust? What's, you know, do we have the trust, the level? That's the most important thing. And then if you can also get a little bit of data kind of on the components, so you know why. So let me ask, let me answer this question by asking you, Art, because you do this as well as anyone. <laughs> you, what have you done at Daytron? You've asked a single question to do this. Why don't you share what you've done at Daytron to kind of, this is one approach that I really love. Share how you do it. Well, yeah, I follow the expert. You know, I took it right out. When I read the speed of trust, I went, I got to, I have to do this. So we asked, um, we started with two questions. You know, do you trust your boss? 
and then do you trust management? And you know, we put a Y or an N and we had people circle that. Well, people wanted to comment. And I had some people wanted to write a, a, you know, a 10 page dissertation on why they were answering that way. I said, I don't, I don't want just yes or no. And then the second person, someone raised their hand in the audience. I think we had about 300, 400 employees then. And uh, he said, who's management? And I went, oh, wow, we have a different problem. We can't <laughs> measure it until we define it, right? Nice. And so I had everybody with a manager title come up to the front of the room. I said, this is, do you trust this team? And they said, well, I trust most of them. I said, no, no, you have to trust them all, yes or no. And if there's one you don't trust, the answer is no. Now, when we started trying to get our leaders to teach trust, we, just, we, we found out we had to ask a third question within the leadership team. And that, that question was, do you trust each other? And which of the three do you think had the lowest rating? Um, that last one. Within the leadership team. And we were asking them to teach trust. So yep. guess where we put our focus into teaching trust was in the leadership team. And I think about two years ago, we hit 100% for the first time. See, you know, so it's not a short-term process. It's a long-term process. Yeah. It, it is a, a process, not an event. Yep. But I love how you approached it because that's, see, those two questions, do you trust your boss, do you trust the, the management team or the leadership team, whatever you might describe it, is important because that's kind of level, that's measuring the, the trust levels, the level of trust people have in their boss, but also in the team and the, conf the confidence they have in the team going forward. And that measures trust levels and that's a perception. You know, it's, it's, you know, and you can measure perceptions. You ask it with anonymous surveys. Sounds like you did a little bit, some of maybe not so anonymous too afterwards, which is, hey, hey, let's get open and real about this. Do we trust this entire team here? But you, you did it initially anonymously and, you, and you, you've done that. But it's really powerful to start there to measure the trust levels. And, and then um, I find, and this is what we do with some of our trust measures, is if we, we can also look at kind of the credibility components around the character and competence and the behavioral components around those 13 behaviors, that gives you some good data of knowing kind of where to work, what to work on. Because think about it, what if there was a lower level of trust that people had in the management, but it, and what if it was because they saw them as not honest versus they saw them as not delivering, not performing. Mm -hmm. No, those are different issues. Or what if they saw them as self-serving? And, and, you know, so is the issue a character one of dishonesty or of self-serving intent? Or is it a competence one of they're not current, they're not relevant, they don't deliver, they perform? This kind of helps you pinpoint it to know what to work on. Right. And so the components can be helpful to know how to address this, how to focus on this. And then you can do the same thing around behaviors. One time we worked with a client and they measured the 13 behaviors and they had two behaviors and this was a healthcare concern and they wanted to move into servant leadership, but there were two behaviors, creating transparency and practicing accountability where the numbers were on a scale of zero to a hundred, they were in the twenties. Oh, wow. They were way below everybody else. And they said, look, let's just really focus on these behaviors and try to move the needle because this is clearly getting in the way of trust. And they took them from the 20s to the 50s and ultimately to the 70s. And they dramatically 
improve the level of trust along the way. So in a sense, the behaviors are like the lead measures and the level of trust is the lag measure. Right. One, you know, and the key to the lag measure moving up is the lead measures. You behave in the ways that will build the trust. And, and that's what exactly what happens. So I think it's important to measure both the lag, which is the level of trust, the lag measures, and then the lead measures, which is the behaviors and the credibility components. Right. And when you do both, that can really help you help you get a good snapshot. But more importantly, know what to do about it. Exactly. So can- yep. Yeah, that, and, and that sometimes is tough to do because it does require individuals to be more open about themselves. Now, I've heard you recently talk about a gap between how we see ourselves and how others see ourselves. Can you share a little bit about what you found out on on how people see themselves versus how other people see themselves and that yeah. gap? Yeah. yeah, so particularly when it comes to trust. And so, and what we did is we took all of our um, uh, trust indexes that we've done for these teams where people are measuring trust on the team and and they're basically asked the question two ways. You know, do I do this behavior? Do I have the credibility, the integrity, the intent, the capability of results? Do, you know, I'm a member of this team. Do I do it? And then they assess, do my teammates do it mm-hmm. in these same areas? And we even factor in just to make sure that not one person can distort it and take it down. We say, do most members of the team do it right. in this you know, just so that it's not one person sinking the whole ship. And so you could, you know, if there's someone that's a bad apple, you could separate them out and say, you know, well, they're asking you most people. But here's what the data shows. And this is that of, you know, some 60 something thousand responses is that almost, well, not almost across the board, everyone, when they assess themselves, they're about 30 points higher, sometimes 40 of I'm doing this okay, but you, my teammate, are not. Right, exactly. <laughs> and integrity and intent and capabilities and results and the behaviors. I do it, you don't. So I'm okay, but you've got problems, teammate. And and um, I like to point out that you know if we think that the problem is out there, is everybody else, that that very thinking is the problem. Is the problem right? <laughs> We've, we've disempowered ourselves. And especially when it comes to trust, the way we build trust is we got to look in the mirror. We got to start with ourselves and say, you know, I got to look in the mirror. Am I credible? How credible am I? Do I give to my team a leader that they can trust? Is it smart to trust me because of my character and my competence? Am I behaving in ways that build the trust? And, you know, I might think I am, but there's a 30 to 40 point gap between how others think I'm doing this when we cumulatively roll these up and surely it's not everybody else it's maybe me too mm-hmm. so I think it's just a good way to say I gotta look in the mirror start with myself focus on my behavior and then if I do that I can then help others you know do the same so I use the metaphor of of uh in the airlines when you travel and they run the safety video and there's that part of the video that says if we lose cabin pressure oxygen masks will fall down Mm-hmm. And then it says, put your own mask on first before helping others. And that's a good metaphor for trust. Yes. You know, I, I got thinking, you know, I was with my daughter and I got thinking if the mask fell down, I'd want to help her, right? Put hers on. But why do we put our own mask on first? 
we got to stabilize ourselves. We got to model the stabilize. Then we can help others. Trust in the same way. So let's put our own mask on first. Then we can help others. So if we look in the mirror and say, how can I focus on my credibility? How can I behave in ways that build the trust? Then we can really be a model of this. We could be a mentor of it. We can help, you know, move the needle on trust. It's got to be inside out. Yep. And it tends to be outside in in how we approach this. So the data is overwhelming on it. And it kind of just says, we, you know, look in the mirror when it comes to building trust and, and, and let's go inside out as right. opposed to. Right. Now, I'm, I'm a poster person for the uh, gap that you talk about when we first did our, fir our first 360 on some of the behaviors. Um, listening was one of the behaviors. And, you know, I rated myself probably eight, nine, somewhere in there. My team rated me a four. <laughs> and I went, well, the survey's wrong. We didn't ask the question right. And I said, oh, man, we, we invested a lot in this, and it didn't come out right, and we've got to redo it until my wife, Lori, said, well, you need to think about that because I'm going to jump in that 40% uh, you know, area. And I said, well, I, I either have to decide I'm going to get better there or I'm just going to continue who I am. And that's, that's the self-analogy we have to look at. We have to look at ourselves first, right? Because people who are closest to us really know us the best. They do know us best, and they'll, they'll, uh, you know, they have our best interest in mind and in heart. That's that's why we trust them, and and um, but see, you had a in this sense a forty or fifty point gap. Right, exactly. That's that's yeah. why I'm I'm the poster person for that. Yep, exactly. Well, yep. If you were the poster person for that, you're also the poster person for modeling how you can move the needle on trust <laughs> and turn gaps into strengths to where you lead out with this because you're as good a listener as I've ever met Art you, in you, our time together and our work together. And, and I know that, you know, you're still probably not perfect at it, but you, you know, you put your own mask on first right? and you're leading out with this and your team is trying to do the same and your organization, anytime you move to a hundred percent as your team did, uh, being able to trust each other shows that, you know, you, you've done the hard work and, and you, you, you know, so, so maybe you're a model on both, which is that there was a gap to begin with that represents most of us, but also a model that you can move the needle and you can create your future and, and, and increase the trust intentionally on purpose. Right. Exactly. And it's your choice to do that, right? It's your choice. No one else's choice to do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I gave you another organizational example of kind of servant leadership and, Building trust as a means of doing this. It's our mutual friend, uh, uh, Cheryl Batchelder. Absolutely. Yep. You know, I was, I was with uh, you and at that Servant Leadership Institute conference a few years ago in San Diego um, that Cheryl was at and and um, and John Maxwell was at and, and Ken Blanchard and you are and, and we had discussions on on trust and and Cheryl Batchelder is a great servant leader and and uh, and she's modeled this and so she was the CEO at the time of Popeyes, right. Popeyes Chicken, and and she came in. There'd been several CEOs in the last few years. They were turning through CEOs, and they were not performing very well. And what was interesting is a great example of servant leadership. She came in, and she declared her intent that her first customer was not the shareholder that just put her in right. and achieving economic returns. And not even the end user. Her first customer was the franchisee. Right. 
if this was a franchise system and there was broken relationships, broken trust between the franchise store Popeyes, the home office and the franchisees. And she declared her intent, who I'm focusing on first is the franchisee and their wins, their interests. I want to build trust with them. And if you as a shareholder don't believe in that, you ought to leave this investment because that's where I'm going to focus. Mm-hmm. And I believe in the long run, it will be good for the shareholders. But she declared her intent. But then she kind of had to look in the mirror and own it. So she declared her intent. I'm going to build trust here. And rather than saying, hey, franchisee, you're the problem. Why aren't you performing better? It was, what can we as the home office do better during your trust? And she, and she realized that we have not delivered results near enough. We haven't kept all the commitments we're making. We're not listening first to your ideas. And we're not being transparent near enough. We're operating with, you know, with our own things without involving you and, and such. And so she, she looked in the mirror and the entire team looked in the mirror and they focused on listening first, creating transparency, delivering results. And, and so kind of earning the trust. And then they finally focused on extending trust. We're going to trust you franchisee. We're going to listen to you and trust you and respond to you. And I'll tell you what, she earned it. She gave it. The team earned it. They gave it. The bottom line is that they went from low. They were very lowly rated on the relationship between franchisor and franchisee to a 90% plus um, where exactly. as high as anyone in the industry, franchise industry of franchisor franchisee trust and, and in a relationship and I'll tell you what, the economic results followed. Exactly. And, and, um, and, the, and the performance of the franchisees went up dramatically. It performed far better, each of them individually, collectively as a system. And then the whole deal, you know, the economic return to shareholders ended up being a five times return in just a short period of time. Just a remarkable story. But, you know, you can frame this a variety of ways. It's a servant leadership story. Because mm-hmm. that's the whole approach is to serve those that you lead and serve the franchisees. And there's an asymmetrical relationship between franchisor and franchisee. It's very easy to move to power leadership. I'm in charge. We're the boss. We're the franchisor. We got the contract. And not to serving the franchisee. But she, her approach was serve first, your first behavior art. Yep. And then build trust, build a relationship of trust, your second behavior. And she did it. She, she followed in my process of, of these, you know, declaring intent, Listening first, which is again another servant leadership behavior, and and um, and to uh, you know deliver results and and um, um, and then to uh, be transparent so that people can see this all happen, and the net effect is, you know, is it's just a remarkable financial success story and servant leadership story through building trust yep. as thing. So I, I love exciting. showing her uh, share stock chart over her tenure. And um, if that doesn't convince the financial world that this is worth doing, I, I don't know what will. Um, I, don't, I don't know what will. Yep. It, it, yep. It's an extraordinary case for trust and case for servant leadership. That is a better way to lead and you get better economic returns. Yep. Now, this is not just about being nice. This is about financials and economics and performance and outcomes. And it happens to be the right thing to do as well. Exactly. Oh. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you, it, it builds good character when you do that. So that's that's great. Well, our, our, you say it best. I, and I quote you frequently in my presentations. You've got your great expression that, you know, that 
the way you obtain results is more important than the results themselves. Absolutely. Yep. Certainly is it as as certainly it is as important, but perhaps like you say, more important because how you do what you do makes all the difference in the world. And if someone gets results, but does it in a way that diminishes, depletes the trust, loses the credibility of the people, violates integrity, you know, what your ability to get results the next time has just gone down. Yep. But when you get results in a way that inspires trust, your ability to get results the next time has just gone up. Yep. That's why, you know, you're, you know, how you do what you do matters. That's why you say what you say. And so you're a great model of it. You teach it and you model it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Um, listen, I have, I have just two more questions. One is I heard you recently say, and you know, this kind of applies to once you improve the trust, you've moved the needle dramatically in your company, uh, kind of like a, a Cheryl at Popeye's. You made a comment recently, nothing fails more than success. Um, and that, and that phrase has intrigued me ever since I heard you say it, uh, share a little bit about that phrase. Yeah. The idea is this, that it's really taken from, um, the historian Arnold Coyne, uh, Toynbee. He's generally credited with this, that you can look at all the history, the rise and fall of civilizations and express it in four words. Nothing fails like success. And the premise is this, that what happens is societies come or excuse me challenges come to a society there's challenges that come and over time we learn to develop a good response to those challenges so the challenge come and we built a good response we've developed a good response to it but then what happens is inevitably the nature of the challenge changes and especially in today's world with change and disruption new challenge comes and yet we're so scripted in our one, in our old successful responses that we respond to the new challenge with the same kind of historical good response, which was successful before, but no longer is relevant for the new challenges in front of us. Hence, nothing fails like success. Yep. Our one successful response no longer is relevant for the new challenge, for the new world, for the new disruption. So we need to develop a new response to the new challenge. Right. That's the idea is that everything is shifting and changing. And so we got to constantly be recreating ourselves, reinventing ourselves, coming up with uh, new ways of approaching things that are relevant for our times. And, you know, that, and that's where servant leadership fits in so beautifully because, you know, maybe in the past you can get away with a command and control style of leadership. Maybe historically there's been a place for that, but the world is changing all around us. Right. And it doesn't work as well today. So we need, a new style of leadership relevant for our times and the old style won't be relevant for the new challenges, the new opportunities. So we need a new style, a new approach to be relevant for our new times. Right. Right. So that leads me to my last question. Can you leave our listeners with one or two things that you believe from your heart that future leaders need to focus on? Yeah, I think as in response to kind of this idea that the world is shifting and changing around us, you look at the amount of change that's hitting us, the pace of change, it's just relentless, fast. The type of change is disruption. Almost everywhere we turn, entire industry is being disrupted. And we've got to you know, respond. You know, so a good example of this, nothing feels like success of, think about uh, you know, Blockbuster video. Mm -hmm, right. Contrast them to Netflix. So Blockbuster, 
you know, they, they did respond to changing, uh, you know, VHS, you know, beta to VHS, and they went through that change. But then, and they went from VHS to DVD, they went through that change. But then um, a new model out there, the DVD by mail, and then streaming, and, and Blockbuster was slow because there were once successful response, which was their stores, their physical stores right. used to work. But they were afraid to kind of disrupt themselves because their profit model was based upon the stores and even charging late fees to people. And to move to a subscription model, either by mail and then ultimately by streaming, was a little bit frightening to them. And they were slow. They were late. They actually turned down Netflix who approached them to partner and then... They responded way late. So nothing feels like success. They realized their old model they tried to protect caused their demise. By contrast, Netflix, they they went into a DVD by mail and then they recognized it was gonna change. Yep. It was gonna move it to the internet. That's even the name Netflix. They even anticipated it before they before it was available. And they disrupted themselves with the you know, the the subscription service online. Um, and that's kind of you know, changed everything, but they constantly were recreating, reinventing themselves, staying relevant. So they were agile, they were responsive, and they reinvented, re uh, recreated themselves. But they modeled it they, with, right. they, they trusted their team, their people. And so we've got to be adaptive, responsive, entrepreneurial, agile. And you'll never achieve that with kind of a command and control, rule based, low trust culture. We've got to move to a new style of leadership. So um, if you look at all the changes hitting this, this disruption, the need to create and innovate like Netflix has done and to be collaborative and deal with disruption, deal with change, lead the change, be innovative, be creative, build teams. All these things require a new style of leadership. The old style, command and control, we become a little bit more enlightened with it, more sophisticated with it. We bring more benevolence to it. But still, the paradigm is too much kind of command and control. And I think we need a new style of leadership art. I'm calling it trust and inspire. The need to kind of extend trust to people and inspire them around meaning, purpose, and contribution. Exactly. So they're, you know, they're, they're drawn to that. That's part of servant leadership. And you bring out the best in them. You believe in them. You see and communicate their potential so clearly. They're inspired to see it in themselves. And they rise to the occasion. They respond to the trust being given like they did at Netflix. They, they're a culture that's based upon what they call freedom and responsibility. That's another way of saying trust and you know and accountability to the trust being given and and uh, and they and they are able to create and innovate and respond to the changing world so not only do we need to do this strategically as things shift we've got to do it culturally right. with leadership and we can't just kind of per perpetuate an industrial age leadership style of of you know enlightened command and control we instead we need to move to the relevant um, style of leadership is going to be timely and useful for the changing world with multiple generations of people who want to be trusted. I call it trust and inspire. So that's the big challenge. And another way of saying that is servant leadership. And, and that's why the work you're doing is so relevant for our changing world. And, you know, power, power leadership is command and control. Servant leadership is trust and inspire. It's a better way to lead in today's world. And so that would be, I just think that this is, well, it's not a new idea. It's a big idea that still is dealing with the predominance of the problem out there. Exactly. Still, the majority of people are trapped in the old industrial age model. Yeah, we we're, need, we're trying to create a movement, right, Stephen? 
This is a new movement. Yep. And we're partners in doing that, Art. Yep. And we have been for some time. And and so trust and servant leadership are hand in glove. Yep. And different ways of approaching it. You know, like you say, building trust is build servant leadership. And the defining outcome of a servant leader is trust. Is trust. Yep. Work together. And that's why our work, you know, coincides and overlaps so much. And and why we're complementary to each other. Yep. Exactly. Stephen, thank you so much for your time today and your wisdom and the work you're doing to help develop future leaders and help us understand what we need to be and how we need to change. So uh, really appreciate your time today, spending uh, it with our listeners. And uh, I always love hanging out with you. Uh, wish we could do it more often, but um, you know, when we do, it's it's a pretty special time for, for I think both of us. So um, thanks for your work and trust. It's really made a difference for us. and. Uh, it, it's making a difference in the world. So I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much, Art. I feel the same about you and your work. And, and again, I, I'm honored to be a part of uh, what you're doing with Servant Leadership Institute and the work we've done together, both at conferences as well as with uh, mutual clients we've worked on together. And, exactly. and also our kind of our, our thought leadership synergy around how these things overlap and feed on each other and reinforce each other. And, and uh, so I'll just leave one last thought to our listeners as you think about this and, and um, you know, I've kind of made the case in my whole speed of trust book and work is that nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. Nothing is as profitable as the economics of trust. Nothing is as agile as a culture of trust and nothing is as inspiring as an extension of trust. And so all of these things come together and, but you say, well, gosh, where do we start? I put it this way. Well, it takes two people to have trust, it only takes one to start. Yep, exactly. Yep, exactly. And, it, and we have to start with ourselves first, right? Yeah. That's right. Start with ourselves. And each of us can be that one. We can lead out. We can model this. Just like you've done at Daytron at Servant Leadership Institute and what Cheryl has done. And that's how you do it. You build it from the inside out. Yep. Well, everyone, I hope you've enjoyed the time with Stephen as much as I have. Um, probably have about four pages of notes here. Um, and uh, you're out on social media, uh, the speed of trust. Uh, yeah. If you guys don't have it in your library, you better get it and not put it in your library, but sit down, read it, highlight it, and put it to work because it will make a big difference. So I appreciate the work there and keep, uh, keep bringing some new ideas to the table, Stephen. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Eric. Okay. I sure will. Thank you for okay. all you do. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody, take care until um, we talk to you next. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Wow, what an amazing conversation. We have a great free gift we would like to send you. It's an article by Stephen M. R. Covey titled Servant Leadership at the Speed of Trust. Email us at info at servantleadershipinstitute.com with the title Stephen's Free Gift to receive this article. Also, please share this podcast episode with someone you think could benefit by hearing it. We really appreciate your support and thank you once again for allowing us to add value to your day. 